Thanks for choosing to make God your priority the first thing on a Sunday morning and be here to worship with us. It's good to have you here. Cindy told you uh, at the beginning that we're going to start a new series. We're going to spend five Sundays talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Paul talks about that in Galatians 5. So if you've got your Bible, you might want to just find that now. Go to Galatians 5, verse 22. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can get one now. We've got some uh, at the visitor center. Pick one up on the way out. Uh, If you don't have one, we'd love to share one with you. We're going to spend five weeks on the fruit of the Spirit. Why is that important? Because the fruit of the Spirit is the way that we understand, the way that we are able to see and to show the world the Holy Spirit living in us. After that series, we're going to launch this fall when uh, everything comes back, kids' ministries come back in full force this fall in September. We're going to spend a few weeks looking at the armor of God. Why are we going to do those two? Because in this world of ours that just is increasingly hostile and divided and confusing, it seems to me that the fruit of the Spirit and the armor of God are two of the most important things that we can have in terms of how it is that we can live in this world, be good examples of being Christians, and then also be able to stand against all the stuff that's hitting us. So that's where we're heading over the next about three months. Last Sunday, though, if you were here, it was an awesome combination. We had Junior St. Val and his high-energy style of preaching, and then we had Cindy come up and issue us a challenge on the heels of that. And Cindy's challenge was that we take the 31 days of August and we lay that alongside the 31 chapters in Proverbs and we read one chapter a day. It turns out it was such a good idea that the Cindy Tennant Challenge now has a hashtag on Facebook. You've made it in our world if you get a hashtag on social media. So, Cindy, way to go on that one. There's 30 days in September. Can't wait to see what you've got for us in September. Seriously, though, when, when we commit to understanding and recognizing the power in God's Word. When we commit to doing what's not always an easy thing, and that's to commit to to being in God's Word on a regular and consistent basis. When we do that, our faith is strengthened, our knowledge, and hopefully our wisdom, which is the right application of that knowledge, is also increases. So Data and I, we decided right off the bat, yep, we're going to take the challenge every morning. We read one chapter of the book of Proverbs, and we talk about it. And now we're going to get to lay alongside it a study of the fruit of the Spirit. So as we grow in wisdom and knowledge, we're also going to have an opportunity to grow in the way that the world should be able to see an outward expression of our faith. And so if you got your Bibles, turn to Galatians 5. Let's read. What is the fruit of the Spirit as the Apostle Paul lays it out for us? Galatians 5, starting in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, he's just talked about spiritual gifts uh, in chapter 12. And now he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, it says in the ESV. Maybe an easier to understand word would be patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So let's get clear on a couple of things in that before we start getting into the individual words. What exactly is fruit of the Spirit? We need to understand why does Paul list all this stuff, but he calls it fruit, not fruits. Because there's a whole bunch of different examples. You'd think that he would say, here are the fruits of the Spirit. Maybe you can have one or two or three of these. But he lists them as a singular. They're all together as one grouping. The fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit alive and at work in us, is a singular collection of the evidence of our being filled and fed by the Holy Spirit. Just like all of the apples on a tree 
are fed by the same root system. We are fed by the same Holy Spirit. So let's use the example of a fruit tree. Because sometimes we talk about God's Holy Spirit. That, that can be a little bit hard for us to understand or, or difficult to grasp. But you know, he really shouldn't be. First of all, the Holy Spirit is a person. It's one of the three parts of God, one of the three persons of God. So think of the fruit uh, of the Spirit like the apples that grow on a tree. Let, let's start with that example because that's part of what Paul's getting at. There is one kind of apple that grows on a tree. There's a whole bunch of different apples, but there's one kind of apple, and they're all fed by the same source. The, the nourishment comes through the trunk up from the roots. They're all a product of the same nutrition that comes through the same feeder system. That's the way we are as Christians. It's the Holy Spirit in us that causes all of these things to be. But when we talk about an apple tree, we don't talk about apples trees. We talk about an apple tree, just like we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. You don't say you planted a new fruits tree in your yard, although you hope to grow a lot of fruit on it every year, many different apples. It's a fruit tree. And so all of these things are evidence of the Holy Spirit in us. We might be able to say, well, I'm pretty good at a couple of them, but I'm still working on the rest. Well, that's true of all of us. But the, the evidence of the Holy Spirit in us is that all of those are things that begin to show themselves in our lives. Just like it is in an apple's tree, it's the fruit of the Spirit. The, the importance is that the fruit of the Spirit is a representation of God's Spirit alive and at work in us. The Holy Spirit is everywhere all the time. But that doesn't mean that we are necessarily willing to work with the Holy Spirit. In fact, when we choose to live to live life on our own terms, go against the will of God, we're working against the Holy Spirit. But when we're filled with and living in the Spirit, we don't always show the evidence of just one or two of these. When we're fully living, we show the evidence of all of them at work in us. So an easy thing to say, well, I'm pretty good with love. I'm okay with patience. i got some goodness in me. That's good. We're, we're beginning. We're starting. But we're not there. The Holy Spirit wants to show all of that fruit in the life of a believer. In Galatians 5.8, just before this passage, Paul says, if we're led by the Spirit, we're not under the law. That sounds great. If we're led by the Holy Spirit, we're not under the law. So before you go out and just choose to do anything you want because you're led by the Holy Spirit... There's that little word that begins it, that little word, if. And if actually turns into a really, really big word in this case. If we're led by the Spirit. To be led by the Spirit is to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be living according to the Holy Spirit in God's will for our life, not our own. If we are doing all of that, we're not under the law because it means that, that we're keeping the law perfectly. We're doing exactly what we should be doing as Christians. Well, the reason that God sent us Jesus is we know that we fall short of that mark. So I know a lot of people say, well, you know what, they're doing just that really perfectly. They're doing it really well. They're living in God's will. But then the question is, see, are, are we seeing the fruit of the Spirit exhibited in their life? More importantly, do you see the fruit of the Spirit in your life and do others see it in your life? See, God gives us this, this little proof test of our of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's called the fruit of the Spirit. Not just one or two, but all of them. They're a collection that God wants all of us to have and to exhibit in our lives. So according to God's Word, every living Christian has the Holy Spirit within us. All of us do. And because of that, that means that all of us are going to bear some amount of good fruit. The question is, how much? 
It might be a lot of fruit over a long period of time. It might be a little fruit every once in a while. Or if you're like most of us, it's a little good fruit mixed in with a lot of bad worldly fruit because of the sinfulness in us. It doesn't mean you don't have the Holy Spirit. It just means that we have work to do and room to grow. See, how much we actually have and how much we actually show of the fruit of the Spirit is up to us because the Holy Spirit is always ready if we're willing. But we have to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. So over the last week, I've been reading Proverbs in the morning. I'm doing research for this message, and so my, my brain is all filled with, with fruit of the Spirit stuff. It's very focused on that. And I become increasingly aware how much I admire people that exhibit all of the evidence of the Holy Spirit that we see in the fruit of the Spirit. And you know these people. There's not a lot of them out there. But the ones that we meet, the ones that we know, that, that just seem to show all of this stuff all the time, there's something really remarkable about them. There's something special. We admire them because we admire what God is doing in them and how it is that they interact with the world, the joy that they interact with the world in. And then I got thinking about it a little further and I realized how little we see the fruit of the Spirit in the world around us. And, and I'm talking whether it's, it's Christian people you know or non-Christian people. If you take a look at the fruit of the Spirit as one of the goals that we have as how we live our lives as Christians, it's kind of remarkable how little of it we see in the world around us. And as Christians, we should want to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit all the time in our lives, in our attitudes, in our hearts. But, you know, we, we live in this world that is so desperately in need of Jesus, and yet we see so little of the fruit of the Spirit. That's why it's so important that we talk about it. We need to put it in our, on our radar screen so that we can work toward it. If God says, you know, this is one of the marks, this is one of the things that a Spirit-filled Christian shows to the world, we need to understand that so that we can work with the Holy Spirit to have more of it in us and have it just naturally come out. And so, you know, you, you've been in the same country that I have, right? We blame the pandemic on a whole lot of stuff these days. We say, well, it's because of the pandemic that, and then we, we fill in the blank. But the fact of the matter is, and this is getting back to the world desperately needing Jesus, we seem to, to really have an epidemic of unkindness, an epidemic of rudeness, an, an epidemic of outright hostility and meanness going on in America today. And to blame the pandemic and the conditions around the pandemic for that, it completely takes away our personal responsibility. And yet God would probably ask us, how are you doing with the fruit of the Spirit? Do the people see that in you? So for each of us as Christians, we don't have an excuse to be anything but good examples of the Holy Spirit alive in us and to show the people around us what a believer of Jesus is really like. And yet, again, if we're not aware of it, how are we going to do it? So as we walk through the fruit of the Spirit the next three weeks, keep in mind how the fruit lines up with your own life. Do you feel it in you? Is it your natural response? Do you hear it coming out of you? Not just the behavior of others, but really focus on yourself. Because there's not much you can do to encourage this behavior in someone else. But there's everything you can do to see it come alive in yourself. See, the Bible tells us as we mature in our faith, something should happen in that process. That, that we should also grow in our likeness as Jesus, our Savior. We should grow and become more and more like what we read about Jesus. 
And Jesus perfectly exhibited the fruit of the Spirit in his life all the time. In other words, the longer we live as Christians and the more that we work on it, the more we should think and act and talk and love like Jesus. Because in the reality of God's love within us and God at work through us, we should have the same mindset, the same gentle, kind, patient love for others that we saw in Jesus. And he never broke from that. It's no coincidence then that love is listed as the first fruit. As you go through this list, and there's a lot of them, there's nine of them. As we go through those, what we're going to realize, love is the first fruit and there's a reason for that. Where else do we talk about first fruits? When we talk about tithes, when the Bible teaches about tithes, they talk about tithes as the first fruits. And we honor God by bringing Him our first fruits, our first 10%. Well, why would we do that? Why would we give away the first 10% of our income, even if the Bible calls it first fruits? Because we love God. We honor God with our first fruits because we love God. The first fruit listed is love. Why? Because God is love. What is the world desperately short of? Godly Christian love. When Jesus was cornered and he was asked by the religious leaders of his day, they said, all right, tell us the greatest commandment. And their idea was to trip him up. They wanted to get him to say something against God's word. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus' answer, of course, was absolutely brilliant. It's in Matthew 22, starting in 37. Jesus says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus takes their question, which was meant to trip them up, and he got at the very heart of the issue that they were lacking, love. They didn't love God. They loved the law. They loved to point out sin. They didn't love people. They loved the rule, the authority that they had over people. And what Jesus did was said the two greatest commandments are to love God with everything that you are, with everything that you have, and to love your neighbors as yourself, to love your neighbors as much as you love God. Why is that so important? Because as believers, our first call is to love God with everything in us. But then right along with us, we're supposed to love others the same way, with everything in us. I've said this a number of times, and it's kind of one of those hard pills to swallow. And it's not in the Bible, so don't go look for the verse. But if you sum up the total of the Bible, these passages and others, in reality, we can't say that we love Jesus when we don't love our neighbor. And so the the challenge I've put out before people in the past has been this. If we take the sum total of the Scripture, what it really tells us is that we can't love Jesus any more than we love the person that we like the least. That's a pretty high bar for love. Because you think about your life and you think about all the things that you've done that are against what God has asked you to do, God's call to you. All the things that God has done for us, yet we continue to make decisions on our own. God has no business even liking us, and yet God loves us. We can't love Jesus any more than we love the person that we like the least. That is why it is the first fruit. And that love is only possible through the Holy Spirit. God is love, and godly love is a gift. What does the world need? It needs Christians who are willing to show godly love to a world that doesn't deserve it. Because we experience love from God that we don't deserve. Now, when I talk about love, I'm not talking about Hollywood movie kind of love. I'm not talking about Hallmark movies. You know, the kind of warm, fuzzy, it's here today, gone tomorrow kind of love. We're talking about the kind of love 
that we know from God through His Son, Jesus. And how we're called to be living examples of that kind of self-giving love. What's the greatest statement of love that the world has ever known? We're going to be uh, remembering it in just a little bit. It's when God gave His Son to death on the cross. And Jesus says, remember this until I return. Remember what I've done. Remember that I gave my life for you. I wonder how much we really understand about love when we hold it up against that. Do we truly grasp love the way that God intends us to understand it? Do we truly grasp how much God loves us? And so when it talks about the first fruit being love, that's a powerful thing. And if you find yourself struggling to love the people around you, which we all do, C.S. Lewis said it like this. There are words and wisdom from C.S. Lewis, his book, Mere Christianity. He says this. Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. Our intentional actions can quite literally change our emotions. Saying, God, I'm willing to be obedient. I don't feel it. I don't want to do it, but I'm willing to be obedient. Intentional actions can change our emotions, which means motion leads to emotion. And we understand love emotionally. God understands it so far beyond that. Love comes from knowing we're loved by God and then from our loving others rather than waiting to be loved first. And we live in a world that says, well, if you love me, I'll give you something back. If you love me first, I will respond. But God loved us even when we were still sinners. It's a very, very, very different kind of love. Years ago, we were worshiping at North 40, and there was a lady, we were talking about love back then as well. And she made a comment, I've never forgotten it. She said, my mom always taught us this when we were kids. And she said, it stuck with me. Well, it stuck with me too. True love always tells the truth in love. It doesn't love to tell the truth. True love always tells the truth in love. It doesn't love to tell the truth. That's the difference between godly love and respect and gossip. And the world is full of people who gossip. But the world is not full of Christians who share godly love. So as a practical application, because we always want to do that, right? How can I take this lesson and what can I do with it in my life? We're going to make it as simple for you as we can here. Data and I were talking and, and she said, you know what? Willow would be a great example. We've got an eight-year-old granddaughter named Willow and her parents are raising her right. And Willow understands the importance of speaking love and life into people's lives. She understands that words carry power. Words have something that goes beyond meaning. They can change your attitude. They can change your outlook. They can change your perspective. And Willow has taken it upon herself. Wherever she goes, it doesn't matter whether she knows someone or not. She'll meet a complete stranger and she'll find something to honestly compliment them about. She'll give them a real, honest, truthful comment. And a compliment. And it's interesting because people kind of laugh her off because she's a kid. And then she follows it up with a very grown-up conversation and they realize she means it. And it's interesting to watch how people change. We were at a restaurant one day, and our server, a young lady, came walking up and introduced herself. And Willow said, hi, my name's Willow. You look really pretty in that blue shirt. And she just kind of smiled. And Willow said, no, I really mean it. You look really pretty in that blue shirt. The young lady's eyes changed. She stood up taller. She smiled. Everything about her demeanor went from the drudgery of work or whatever she was thinking about beforehand And she just kind of for a moment basked in that compliment. And in that, Willow spoke life and love into that young woman's day. It happened in an instant. 
And she did it because she meant it. If an eight-year-old can do that, you and I can do that. Godly love is speaking the love that we have in Jesus out into the world. Love and life can change someone's day and their eternity. The noise and the opposition of the enemy, it's just going to keep getting louder and louder, which means that you and I have to be stronger and more intentional. So if you take nothing else away from today, take away the actions of an eight-year-old, you can give someone an honest compliment and share it with them. You'll be amazed to see how it changes their day. The old song says they'll know we're Christians by our love, by our love. Uh, They're also going to know that we're Christians by the fruit of the Spirit in us that comes out of us in a way that shares the love of Jesus that's inside us with the world around us that is desperately in need of it. The world is so in need of the love of Jesus that they don't even know that's what they need. In fact, the world in many places has gone so far as to say God doesn't even exist. There is no Jesus. And if you talk to those sad people, it would be because there's no way there can be a God that has a world like this. But we can change it. We can show who we really are with the fruit of the Spirit that is in us and flows out of us. Or does not. And that gets back to the choice being up to us. It it makes me think of the Jordan River in Israel. Uh, we've been there and seen the very northern end of the Jordan River. There's four rivers that come together. Uh, one is at the very tip of the country. It starts out just as a tiny little creek. You walk over a bridge and it's uh, hardly, even, hardly even water that flows. One of the rivers is called the Banias River. And that starts at the gates of hell, that place where Jesus told his disciples, upon the, uh, this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, those four rivers come together and they start with a very small Jordan River and it flows through northern Israel. The, the uh, Jordan River is about 100 miles long as the crow flies, about 150 as it flows. It's not a very long river. It's not very wide in any given part. It's not particularly impressive when you see it. But when you realize what it does and the, and the tide of Scripture that it has, it's pretty incredible. Because the first real large body of water that it hits is the Sea of Galilee. And it flows in in this beautiful, lush region, and none of Israel gets very much rain. And so you can tell where the river is because it's green and lush and there's vegetation and trees. And then it flows out of the Sea of Galilee into the south, and it starts winding through the valley. And it's a very fertile valley. It grows incredible crops. It's an amazing place to be able to see in large part because of the water from the Jordan River. And then it gets to the second large body of water that it hits. There's three, one much smaller north of the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and then it runs into the Dead Sea. And that's the end. The Jordan River doesn't flow out of the Dead Sea. It just stops. And if you think of the Jordan River in human terms and how generous it is with its water and it flows and it feeds everything around it and it literally brings life and it gets to the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea is selfish. The Dead Sea doesn't let the River Jordan go anywhere outside of it. It holds on to it in the desert like it's, it's going to go away. And because of that selfishness, nothing grows in the Dead Sea. It's literally death in the middle of the desert. It's incredibly salty, which makes for a great tourist attraction. But it doesn't make much for being able to grow anything around it. And when we're selfish with love, when we take the love that God has given us and we take the relationship with Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross and we keep it to ourselves, we become like the Dead Sea. When we get selfish and we give love only to people who would give it back to us in the first place, 
We end up soaking up whatever love we can get, but we end up then sharing none of it. And as a result, there's no fruit in us at all. Just like there's no fruit in the Dead Sea, there's no fruit around the Dead Sea. So if you're still wondering now what kind of love, how do you practically live the kind of love God calls us to, what does it look like? How do we do it? Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians, 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. It is the most read scripture passage at weddings in America. Good chance that if you had scripture read at your wedding, this is, this is one of the passages. It talks about what love is, but more than that, it, it's a goal for us. It's kind of the bar to reach for. It's godly love in action. So 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. I'm going to say godly love because that's what it is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at doing wrong, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. If God is love and we are filled with the love of God, that should describe us. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's love as it's understood in the fruit of the Spirit. If you're wondering what fruit of the Spirit love looks like, this is it. And so think about yourself before you go on to anybody else. Does that passage, do those verses describe you? Do they describe how it is that you love the people closest to you, how you love the people that you work or go to school with? Does it describe how you love people you don't like? Because the fruit of the Spirit and the love that is a part of it should look like that. So so I want to challenge you right along with the Proverbs reading this month. Memorize that passage of Scripture. It's not too tough to do. It's only a few verses. If you read it when you read your Proverbs every day, you'll be able to do that in a matter of a week or so. And once those words, once that godly love is rooted in your mind, it becomes rooted in your action. You begin to live that way because you begin to think that way. And when we do that, we begin to love the world and the people in it that way because it simply becomes natural to us. That's our understanding of love. You can be a a Christian who is deeply rooted in the fruit of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit working in you with just a little bit of effort. And so we're going to go on. We're going to take a look at joy and peace next week. Joy and peace naturally follow us understanding love. As fruit of the Spirit goes... Love, joy, and peace, those three alone would completely change the world if we could get a good understanding of them. Let's pray. God, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you for the way that Paul makes clear to us what it is. And God, it's, uh, it's not that you are not doing your part, because God, you always do your part with us perfectly. And you do it fully and you do it completely. God, you've given us your Holy Spirit. Everyone who calls ourselves a Christian, every one of of us who puts our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus has the Holy Spirit living in us. It's a matter of whether or not we feed Him, whether we give Him air, whether we give Him room, whether we welcome Him to be fully a part of our lives or do we just push Him aside and go on with things on our own way. God, the fruit of the Spirit is what happens in us when Your Holy Spirit is alive and well and working within us. And it's up to us to feed that. It's up to us to give Him room to work within us. God, my prayer would be that all of us who believe in Jesus and anyone who doesn't, God, that Your Spirit would move in them, that they would come to accept Him as their Lord and Savior. 
God, that your Holy Spirit would not just fill us because we know that you've already done that, but you would fill us to all fullness that we would be living examples of what the fruit of the Spirit in our world is. In Jesus' name, amen. So to close, I want to go back to that love chapter from 1 Corinthians. We did this back at North 40 a number of years ago. Uh, I've incorporated it in a couple of weddings. And I want to do it here for us because sometimes the hardest thing to do is to know how to take an action step on something that we've heard. Do we love people? Sure we do. Can we love people better? Of course we can. But how do we do it? How, how do we actually take that? I don't want you to leave feeling guilty like you're not loving people enough. I would love for you to leave saying, okay, now I know a little bit more of what I can do to love people more like God loves me. Going back to that First Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to take those words and we're going to personalize them a little bit. And I'm going to ask you to join me and we'll read it together. So you can't find this in the Bible. But this is taking the Bible and putting it into practical steps that we can use. And so rather than say the word love, we're going to use the word I. So let's go with the first slide. Are you ready? I am patient and kind. I do not envy or boast. I am not arrogant or rude. I do not insist on my own way. I am not irritable or resentful. I do not rejoice at doing wrong, but rejoice with the truth. I am patient in all things, believe all things, Uh oh. hope all things, and endure all things. That's the way that God loves us. And so that kind of love is already in us. The Holy Spirit is already in you. That's the kind of love that we can bring out into the world. And there are people out there that have no idea what that kind of love is like. But as a believer in Jesus, you may be the one that gets to show them and make it real for them.